Okay, this is Illegitimate Scholar, Dissident Cultural Anthropology Podcast. Join me weekly to better understand the world and your place in it. Today we're going to talk about identity. It's often talked about in the context of identity politics, but it's so much more than that. All of our most deeply held views are tied to our identity. We're going to talk about our, our identity. We're going to talk about the concept of identity, how it pertains to the recent issues that we've seen, what it means for the West. We're going to talk about primary identities, how people identify themselves and which identities they view as most important. We're going to talk about the growth of a white identity and and where that comes from and why that makes sense in this current time. Here we go. So when I'm thinking about someone's primary identity, what, what I mean by that is that Different people have overlapping identities, and, and while in the West, we, we generally have this sense that the nation is the most important, and, and that's gone away. Probably 40 years ago, they felt very differently about this. They were more so in favor of the nation, but cultural factors shift over time to which identities people think are more important, and in most of the world, it's not the nation state. This is why you can't impose something like a nation state on a tribal society like in Afghanistan. We've seen that, um, and, and even... Another place, like our idea of race in the United States, number one, our current conception of it is basically a post-World War II phenomenon. I think I've spoken about this maybe on the podcast, maybe somewhere else. But there's also that if you go to other parts of the world, they think about even that same concept, race, what, what we would describe as race there differently. For example, in China, China, they don't think of themselves as Asian, as a race, like we do in the U.S. That is a result of having people from many different continents and this melting pot of of different types of people. The point is that Chinese people view their race as Chinese. Japanese people view their race as Japanese, just as much as I view myself as white or anyone else views themselves as black or whatever. That's their race. But even then, it, it sometimes is that other identities are more important. In certain places, the religious identity is more important. The ethnic identity is more important. Maybe you're a, uh, you're a Persian, or not, you're not a Persian. Persian is the largest ethnic group in Iran, but it's not the only ethnic group in Iran. There are Iranians that are, that are from the nation of Iran that aren't Iranian. They're, they're not ethnically Iranian, so even though they live in that country— or, well, they're, they're not Persian. They wouldn't call themselves Persian. I mean, Patrick Bet-David is, is an example. He's an Armenian, which does have their own nation state, even though not all the Armenians live in there. There's also there's subpopulations of Hungarians um, in the surrounding countries that were taken from Trianon, RIP. You know, never forget Trianon. Um, but there's also, uh, like, there's, there's populations that they, all, they do not have their own nation state, like the Kurds that live in... Um, subpopulations. And, and those people, you know, sometimes when, the, when their identity gets too powerful, some stuff happens. Their identity, it doesn't mesh in with, with who's ever ruling over them. And, and this can create a lot of problems. Um, we've seen this in Catalonia. Um, I've seen this play out in Ireland with uh, the Northern Irish and the Irish and the Protestants and the Catholics and the Unionists and the anti-Unionists and the Republicans. <coughs> Identity is a powerful force. Identity is a very powerful force because how people think of themselves and who they view as their allies and how they think about the world is crafted by this identity. And so when you have a place, it's a very powerful tool to change someone's identity. And and you should be aware that there are people who are attempting to both change their own identity to change, like as in change what the their specific identity means to both that their own group and to other groups, 
There are people who are working to create new identities. There are people who are working to fracture identities or to play up ethnic conflict. You know, and in, in, in a lot of this is international. Like a country like the United States is going to be supporting ethnic violence in a country like China or in Russia or Iran. They're going to be funding people that are going to cause chaos. This is something that's happened for thousands of years. Um, famously, the Soviets did the same thing. Pretty much anybody who was fighting the United States would be attempting and successfully a lot of the times to varying degrees to um, create strife in the black community in the United States as minorities, attempting to uh, push the black identity and push the idea, not that I disagree, but push the idea even greater that, that black people are oppressed in the United States in order to harm the stability of the United States. This is something that's, that's common throughout history. And one way that countries have worked towards this, and I've spoken about this before, so I'll be brief, is that they will assimilate people. They will uh, attempt to push down, remember languages, language is so important, gonna be doing it soon, but pushing down, suppressing languages like Catalonian, a nation will suppress a minority language. You know, you see this with indigenous groups in the US, Canada, um, and Australia, also throughout Latin America, but we know less about it. You also see it in Europe. Uh, you see it throughout the 1800s into the 1900s, of the suppression of minority languages like, you know, uh, Basque, Catalonian, um, Breton. Every country has one. Uh, Galicia, in, in, several in, in Spain, several in the UK, suppressing the Irish language, the Scots language, all these different languages um, that they're suppressing in conjunction with suppressing the people. Um, have you ever heard the term, save the, kill the Indian, save the man? That, that's assimilation. So there used to be this huge push for assimilation. And unfortunately, if the people don't want to be assimilated, which oftentimes they don't, then it's very hard to do. And sometimes it can require force and it can usually results in violence. And it's, it's unfortunate. Um, and as a general rule, things are better when people pick them themselves. And, and sometimes that can simply be through incentivizing them to pick uh, the right decision, which is more humane, I would say, than you know, it's definitely more humane than, than what's done, but it might not be better in the long term because it's still a destruction of culture. But as you know, because when I, whenever I go over the definition of culture, culture changes over time. It's inevitable. It changes. So, you know, we, uh, we, you know, we want to retain our culture, right? And uh, we should retain our culture. And I don't just mean ours as in white peoples or Americans. I mean, everybody, I think, should retain their culture. I love these different cultures, but you also have to change it, but you, you don't want to lose it. You don't want to change it too much. And to be honest, the language is usually the thing, but I digress. Culturally relevant pedagogy. That's the thing. I've spoken about it a little bit. This is the pedagogy. This is the education idea that kids should be taught in culturally relevant ways. And by culturally relevant, it means not the, the American identity. And in practice, this means that these, that ethnicities that that different minority groups in the United States are having those identities pushed out um, in Connecticut. And I think they went national with with this. I'm not sure if they did yet, but they pushed having black and Latino studies in specific classes. And I'm not against teaching black or Latino studies, but they should be involved in the larger history of Americans because they're Americans. And it shouldn't just be uh, selected students taking those classes. I think everyone has to take them, but when you compartmentalize, and this is just my opinion on this situation, but I think it's for a good reason, 
When you compartmentalize that history, it separates it. It makes it different. It makes it different from the regular American history. You got Latino and, and African American history. By the way, where's the Asian American history? I don't know why you went with those two only. But you, you take that, but you put it separate from the American history. No, you got to include it. It's all of our history. If we're gonna if we're gonna be in a country where we're all one people, if that's what we're agreeing on doing, then you got to do it right. You got to have assimilation a little bit. You got to have people agreeing to live the same way. But instead, they promote these uh, these sub identities, these other identities that that are under the American identity, that that are subgroups of the American identity, and they create tension. That that's inevitably what happens. And as far as I'm concerned, like I'm not a super anti-immigration guy. I think everybody's a pretty a little bit anti-immigration right now, uh, more so than I generally am. I would say, but you know, I'm. If we're not going to assimilate people, then we shouldn't fucking let them in. Okay, like if that's what we're going to do, I'm okay with letting some people in quite a few people in if we're going to assimilate them. But if we're not, then it's just, we're not a country anymore. It's rough because it really is. That's how important the identity is. Because if you don't have the same identity, you don't have the identities that are attached. You, you don't have the same value system that is attached to that identity because that's what it is. And these are the most deeply held value systems. And then you have people that feel different ways. And then what you have is public schools and colleges of people with completely contrary opinions and then people are very upset because they feel like you know somebody is you know their family's being genocided or there's an attempt of genocide on their family maybe some of their family or or at least their ethnic group is being attacked in some way and there's nothing you can do about it and I'm not just talking about Palestinians here I'm also talking about Israelis I'm also talking about Armenians I'm talking about a bunch of these different things it's not just Israel Palestine it's it's when you have more of these different groups of people coming in and then they're not assimilating in, like, for example, I'm Hungarian Irish and, and those are my roots. Those are my ethnic roots. I'm American ultimately. So, you know, I'll joke about the British and like, there's some real stuff there, but it's not like I'm going to fight or kill a British guy, maybe in a, in a different situation, but like I'm assimilated. I'm assimilated as an American because I am an American. And with Hungary, it's like, you know, my grandfather didn't like Romanians. I don't care. It's a joke. That one's a real joke. I don't care about Romanians. Um, I digress. Okay. So if you like the cultural anthropology content on YouTube, like and subscribe, please. If you're on the podcast, please rate the podcast. Really appreciate it. And uh, give it a follow. Um, appreciate that. Join the Discord if you want to talk about this stuff. I really love having people in the Discord. So in Canada, they have a political party based on the French ethnicity and the French language. And that creates a lot of tension in Canada because the French know that they have Ottawa, they have the capital by the balls. They do because if they leave, then the, um, the Plains provinces are going to leave as well because then they're going to be ruled straight by Ottawa. There's a balance of power. So they're able to create an outsized influence uh, the French are able to create an outsized influence because it's better for the Canadian central government to give the French what they want because the alternative is is far worse. So they're able to push. That's the situation that they have. They're able to push for some extreme stuff and to get a disproportionate amount of resources from the other provinces. And that's not fair, but it's the way it goes. That's what happens when you have an, a sub-identity in a country that's that powerful. And you don't really want that. People feel loyalty to people that are in their same group. So if people within the United States, they don't feel loyalty to other Americans because they feel loyalty within their racial or ethnic 
or religious group, then that's a problem because you have people that aren't willing to help each other. Um, and, and that's what you want. And you want, like, people want to help out who is their own identity. And obviously, you know, Americans will still help Americans, but I do feel like it, it could and should be more. It, it, the American identity should be the most powerful. We need that to be true to be a real country. If not, I don't get it. Can someone please explain it to me? If you have a different perspective, if you're like, oh, this guy's an idiot right now, let me explain to him why it makes sense to have a country with a bunch of people that are at each other's throats and are yelling about killing each other in the streets. Like, that's crazy to me. It's not good. And I don't understand why some people would call me like racist or xenophobic because I don't want that. It just seems obvious at this point. It was obvious to me before, but now it feels obvious in a much more real way because of what's happened. And and that sucks that it takes something like that to a specific group of people, not not others. Like this kind of decolonization stuff that that just hit Israel was happening in South Africa too. And it has been happening in South Africa. And yet when it happens in South Africa and you bring it up, then you're far right. But then it happens to Israel and, you know, I digress. You guys know what I mean, okay? The point is this stuff is not good. It's not good. And this creates tension in the West. Um, and so this leads me to the white identity. Okay, so there hasn't been, there is, in the United States and in Canada, in the West, it's socially unacceptable to have a white identity, to have a, um, to feel camaraderie with other white people. But that's not going to be forever. That, the idea that you should not feel camaraderie with other white people makes sense when the country is 80% white. It even makes sense when the country is 70% white, 60% white, especially because white people, you know, we have our regions, we have our different ethnicities, and we have other identities that were more powerful. But what about 50% white people in the country? What about 40% white people in the country? Because at that point, you're dealing with plurality. You're no longer, the white people are no longer the majority. And while some people are still going to treat it like white people are the majority because they have this, there's this common thing in many forms of thinking where it's just momentum. They just, they know, they learned things based on the other situation and they're not going to realize that they need to reevaluate or should reevaluate based on a changing situation. But the country has become much less white since even I was born and I was born in 1995. And it's, it's, it's much less white now. And now we're looking at a point where white people are going to be a group. And it would probably be a good idea if white people got together and advocated for themselves, not at the expense of the other groups, just as the other groups will advocate for themselves, and not just other racial groups, but however people organize themselves, not at the expense of any other groups. That's not what I'm saying. I'm sure someone eventually, if I get popular enough, will clip that out, but I don't care. Um, it's going to create a situation where white people are going to have to create a block and advocate for themselves or just, you know, or you just join some other, some other sub identity. We'll see how it goes, but that's the way I see it going. And I think that's okay. And you know, what, the thing that made me really start thinking about this recently was that news article where 6% of the S&P, S&P 100 hires in recent times, I think it, during the Biden admin or, or after the jobs came back after COVID, 6% of them were white. 94% were not white. So ugh, 
That's not good. Over time, that creates a situation where white people disappear from these positions. And that creates a situation where white people will have to advocate for themselves and where it white people will advocate for themselves because if white people, especially the people with the power, and when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about like, it's not really the top 1% white people because they don't care about the other white people. But maybe like when the top 20%, the top 10% of earners, they start suffering, which they already are, by the way, then we will see the white identity like coming out. And again, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just saying it is. It is a thing. Um, so yeah, that's how I feel about it. Quick episode today, but I'm, I'm trying to stay concise. Um, let me know what you think about it in the comments. 